Hello, welcome everybody to the No Normal Show for Thursday, August 6th, 2020, brought to you by Revive Health. This is our weekly deep dive into how hospital and health system marketers can navigate what we call the no normal. I'm Chris Bevelo, health systems practice lead at Revive Health and your host for the show. I'm joined by Chase Kleckner, senior marketing manager at Revive Health and our show's producer. Hello, Chase. Hey, Chris. Always good to see you. Good to see you too, sir. We are also excited to have two guests with us from M Health Fairview here in my hometown of the Twin Cities, Minnesota, which is also the largest health system in Minnesota, M Health Fairview. The first is Scott Weber. Scott is the chief marketing, communications, and digital experience officer for M Health Fairview. He is driven by his passion for serving the patient and improving their healthcare experience. Most recently, Scott was a managing partner at Accenture, focusing on innovative digital health solutions for healthcare organizations. He has a wide breadth of experience in agencies where he helped build national brands like Walmart, Ikea, Samsung, and Capital One. Hi, Scott. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you again. Good to see you too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And thanks for bringing along your uh, partner in crime who you insisted was with you. I think is fantastic that we also get to have Raghu Palai with us. Raghu is the Vice President of Digital and Architecture and Head of Gopher uh, at M Health Fairview's Consumer Innovation Studio. Raghu is passionate about making health and healthcare easy and affordable. His work focus is to help, help care delivery systems re-DNA themselves into digital companies that are obsessed with consumer value. Boy, do we need that in this space. Prior to M Health Fairview, Raghu has a long career as a consultant with other healthcare organizations. Hello, Raghu. Oh, you might be on mute, sir. How was that? There you are. It was just a Thank matter you, of time. Thanks before. for having us. Yes, yes. Thanks for joining us and good to meet you for the first time. Um, we're excited to dive in with both of you. Let me get through some um, notes on the show and then we'll start the conversation. If you're new to the podcast, what do we mean by the no normal? Uh, you know, when, when COVID hit, it turned the world upside down. As we moved through it, we heard a lot of conversation about, boy, when are we going to get back to normal or what's the new normal going to look like? Uh, and frankly, we're just under the impression, it's our perspective that we have no idea what normal is going to look like. And uh, just as importantly, when we will hit something like normal, uh, even if we, we land on something looking like normal in the spring of 2021, it's going to take a long time for us to understand the implications of that, to leverage that, uh, and to really get to a place where we have anything resembling um, kind of a static situation, uh, whenever we could have a static situation. We're even static before COVID-19. Uh, so basically, we're, we're in an area of uncertainty, uh, and to, to, to really thrive in that, we can't just um, give up. We can't just kind of stumble around blindly in uncertainty. We have to learn how to survive or, or more importantly, thrive uh, in that area of uncertainty. So that's what uh, this show is about, uh, working with hospital and health system marketers to understand how do we navigate this no normal. So the show is going to be, as you've heard, if you've joined already, and as we're going to continue to do, we're going to have guests like these two gentlemen on with us to share their expertise uh, as we learn from each other on how to navigate the no normal. So if you are uh, live with us right now, please use the question queue, the, the, the question queue, the Q and A queue in Zoom to line up your questions. 
and we'll get to as many as possible. Any questions you have for Scott or Ragu or myself or Chase, make sure they get in that Q&A queue. You can also use the chat function to talk to other attendees. Chase may use that to post links to different things we reference. Um, as an example, we have a blog post up uh, that provides the fundamental five principles of the no normal. So if you wanna learn more about what I mentioned about no normal, you can go to that, look for the link in the chat function. But again, questions for us, uh, we have plenty of time. We'll address them at the end or as we go, just get them in that Q&A uh, queue. And also remember, if you're with us live or hearing us through some other means, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And every day by the end of the day, we post a, a recording of the show on our website at thinkrevivehealth.com slash COVID-19. All right, with all that out of the way, let's dive in. Uh, first of all, uh, because both of you have such interesting backgrounds, um, and, and come from outside the classic kind of traditional provider space, uh, maybe you could each just give folks a little bit of um, overview of that background and then we'll get into some specifics about what we're doing at M Health Fairview. Scott, why don't you go first? Uh, okay. Um, so I uh, often say I have two chapters to my career. Uh, chapter one, I spent about 20 years in advertising agencies, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, some of those years here in Minneapolis. Um, and, uh, you know, I always thought I wanted to be the CEO of an agency. And as I got closer and closer to that job, it uh, was not what I thought it was going to be. And um, uh, in 2010, we learned that my wife, Annie, uh, carries the breast cancer gene. She's BRCA2 positive and um, uh, had the preventative therapy um, for it. So a prophylactic mastectomy and a nephrectomy. And, um, you know, clinically it went great, but, you know, the experience was brutal. And it was so counter to everything that I had kind of grown up with um, by working with companies that just obsess about their customers. Um, you know, my observation of the experience was there was just nothing about that experience that was built for her. Um, and uh, so I got very interested in applying uh, a consumer sensibility to healthcare. Um, uh, I took a, a slight veer along the path and uh, along that path, uh, ended up going back to business school. Uh, I got an MBA, did a specialization in healthcare. Uh, and then when I finished up, I never thought I was going to be a consultant. I thought I'd go right to work for a, uh, system. Um, but I took another detour and, and spent a number of years as a consultant working with big provider and uh, big providers and big payers on customer experience and um, been at M Health Fairview now about a year and a half. Love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. It's the reason why I get out of bed in the morning. Great. Great. Ragu. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Um, so I'm an immigrant. Having grown up in a in a country at a time and in a culture where medical care was sparse, but often part of an intergenerational relationship with, a, with your local general practitioner. Systemized medicine, systemized care delivery in the United States was a big surprise for me. We seem to have simultaneously uh, industrialized the care process and depersonalized the experience. Uh, so I was and continue to be attracted to healthcare by the notion that the strength of the system can be harnessed into a value relationship between uh, such a noble calling and we, the people. Uh, 
So as a professional, I'm a futurist and achiever. As a, as a leader, I'm often accused of being on the rebel end of the spectrum. <laughs> so after a couple of decades of consulting to healthcare organizations of different ilk about how to harness the power of IT to address business needs, uh, I joined MHealth Fairview uh, about five years ago because the company is trying to do something materially different in our, in our, in our community. And that's where I met, uh, I met Scott and uh, we became partners quickly. We want to break the break and build the similar things. Well, that's great. That's great. And thank you again, both for being here, Scott. I want to, I want to kind of set the stage here. You joined us in February, which seems like a lifetime ago. I think that was the last time I was anywhere outside of my neighborhood uh, <laughs> for the Joe public retreat we had. Um, and you shared your vision with the group there. And I think, it's, I think it's fair to say that what you shared really, I mean, so we had a room full of, you know, health system CMOs from all over the industry. And uh, just watching you speak to your vision, seeing people lean in, the conversation that followed, you were clearly describing something that caught a lot of attention from the folks in the room. Um, and so I, I think it would be great to the degree that you're comfortable, um, you know, as far as you want to go with it, talking about what that vision was, what you had done to the point of, say, February, um, just to kind of establish what you're trying to set out to do. And then we can kind of dive into, um, you know, the, the role that you're, you're playing with Ragu and how his role fits with that how it's hit with COVID and where you're going from there, but just kind of set the stage with what you set out to do that vision that you described back in February. Uh, sure. Um, so I, a little bit of context, I, I think might be helpful here. So um, M health Fairview is a joint venture between the university of Minnesota and uh, Fairview health services. And um, it's actually relatively new. Um, it, it, it's, it's only about a year and a half old. Um, these two parties have been partnering together in various forms um, for a long time now, but had never really been um, you know, as closely tied as we are now. So when I got hired, um, I, I got a pretty clear mandate from um, our CEO and his partner, uh, a guy named Jacob Tolar, who's the Dean of the Medical School. And uh, that mandate had three components to it. So one was to launch our brand, um, launch the M Health Fairview brand, uh, make it meaningful to our uh, employees and uh, into the market. Um, the second was um, get us ready to compete for consumers in a consumer-driven health economy. Uh, and the third was design, you know, uh, customer experiences that are going to help us to attract and keep, you know, a disproportionate share of customers. And, um, you know, I spent, you know, probably the first 90 days of the job um, sitting back, I shouldn't say sitting back, but I, um, observing and assessing. And um, uh, it, it, it didn't take me long to figure out that we had a lot of really nice, well-intended people, um, but we had none of the skills and none of the capabilities that we were going to need to compete in um, you know what I'll call a modern economy. I, I, I think the, the consumer economy right now is uh, on demand. You can get what you want, when you want, where you want it, how you want it. Um, and, and, you know, when I looked at, uh, at the experiences that we were putting in front of consumers and the capabilities that we had to think 
innovatively and to move at speed. We, we just had none of it. Um, and uh, I also, you know, knew from my experience as a consultant uh, that, you know, oftentimes there's this um, chasm that sits between marketing and design and, and IT. And, um, and I strongly believed, you know, even from early days that um, I, I didn't want to get into that and I actually wanted to collaborate and that the, the line between marketing and design and technology is blurring every single day. Um, and I, I just didn't want to be in an adversarial relationship with anybody. Um, so very quickly, I got together with um, what I'll call the third leg of our three-legged stool. So um, a guy named Samir Badlani, who's our CIO, and Regu, who uh, is, was in um, Samir's organization. And we talked about um, forming a, what we call a customer innovation studio. Um, where we could design and develop um, new experiences. And we talk about experiences as the things that we do for you. So think about those as services and the content or the conversations that we have with you. Um, and we talked about putting that all together and, and doing it, um, you know, some people call it as like an agile studio so that we've got technology developers, data people sitting with designers, creative people, strategists, et cetera. And um, it, it didn't take long for us to line around a vision. And, um, uh, and so we took that vision to our CEO and um, he said, how are you gonna pay for it? And, um, you know, as part of that assessment, we had to say to him, you know, I, and I, I was the one who had to do this. I had to say, you know, James, we looked hard at all the activities that we did, that we've done over the last couple of years. And um, I, we've wasted almost 100% of the dollars. It, it, it was impossible to draw a line from anything that we'd done to any kind of a priority for the health system. And so the plan was we're gonna stop doing as much of that as possible. And the work that we can't stop, uh, we're gonna try to do that as efficiently as possible uh, and we're gonna take the dollars that get freed up and we're gonna reinvest those against um, meaningful improvements in our digital experience. Um, and you know, he likes, James likes to say, you had me at digital. So we're, we're very lucky that we have a CEO who's hugely supportive, um, but he, uh, he gave us the go ahead uh, to do it last, early last fall. Um, we went through a, you know, a painful, um, downsizing. So we went from 56 people to 13 people. Um, and I think that, you know, Chris, that was a moment in the room in February that caught a lot of gasps. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so we did it. Um, and uh, we formed, um, now we can't do all this with 13 people. So um, we have a core staff and then we have uh, two outsourced relationships with um, uh, uh, digital development providers who are helping us to get things built. Um, so we did the downsize, uh, and then, you know, just in terms of where we are early, well, we're, you know, six months into it now, I guess eight months. Um, we, uh, so, you know, this thing called COVID happened and I know we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, we are five sprints into developing a new website that's going to go live in the fall. Uh, we are starting Sprint One on uh, a new mobile app that's going to go live in the fall. 
uh, and um, we have stood up a, an automated marketing platform um, that we call Marketing on Demand. But uh, our service line folks can now get online and order their, you know, create and order their own collateral. So we have 70 some odd templates that they can choose from and uh, they can write their own brochures, uh, single sheets, posters, whatever they need to create. Um, all that's up on the web and they can create it. And, um, uh, you know, the marketing folks that I used to have in the middle of that are, um, are, are no longer part of the process. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot there. Um, Ragu, can you jump in and kind of talk about when Scott first came to you and, you know, how you've seen this vision um, from your side of it and, and what it's meant for you in, in terms of what you, the role you typically play and how you've um, helped shape it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, so it, it turned out that both Scott and I were thinking about this, but from different angles. So one of the things that Scott uh, um, has materially changed in the organization is the starting point of the conversation. Uh, so he, has a, he articulates a compelling vision uh, that is centered in experience uh, as, as opposed to where I was at that time coming from was from a digital to the core kind of perspective, uh, which, would, which would help construct an experience, but that wasn't the starting point of the conversation. So that was a good change. Um, a lot of what Scott just articulated in terms of how, how he has been thinking about this, how he is set up, where we are partnered is to say, um, uh, so to achieve this, uh, if we look at ML Fairview, we are not a, we are not a digital native, we are a digital immigrant, if you will. Uh, so we need to really transition from analog to digital. And to achieve that for a large uh, actively operating organization, there are at least three things we need to do. Uh, we need to fundamentally raise the digital quotient in the organization from the boardroom to the front line. Uh, we, that's one. The second thing we need to do is our business sensibility around profitable and equitable care should be the result of differentiated experience that we are engineering. And then the third thing is the infrastructure to make all this happen. So where, uh, as, as Scott and I talk more and more, uh, where we connected very quickly was to say there are some fundamentals that we need to lay out and that starts with the infrastructure. Uh, that starts with knowing what are the things about the consumer that we need to get together. Uh, how do we create an engaging interface of experience? And that's, uh, that's, uh, that's seamless between our physical and digital experience. And then what's the real-time mechanism that's going to hold these together in a virtuous embrace of learning? Uh, so that's kind of where we connected uh, in terms of how we set this up. Yeah, that's great. Scott, I want to ask you, um, you're right. The, the, the some of the concrete things that you shared, like the staff, the proactive, right? Let's be fair, proactive, right? I mean, this was this was an intentional staff cut, so you'd be able to focus. I think the other thing that grabbed a lot of attention was you you mentioned a couple of them, but you had a very small set of priorities. You laid out like I, I think it was three, but you can, you can tell me what it was. But these are the three things that we're going to do as a team. Anything else? Either we're not going to do it, or it's outsourced. So can you can you share what that small set of priorities was? Just tick them off. You, I think you mentioned a couple of them, but I just want to be yeah, it's getting it's, that right. Yeah, um, it is. So it's 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 shifted um, since COVID hit, but um, yeah. So um, back in the uh, 
wonder what January or February we met. Um, uh, our, we had aligned, when I say we, not just Regu and I, but the leadership team had aligned around uh, two service lines and, um, and also getting our digital front door fixed. So at the time, we were going to focus on um, uh, oncology and neuroscience and, and getting that digital front door fixed. That was it. Everything else was secondary. Um, and as a leadership team, we're pushing really hard on focus right now. We can't be all things to all people and we can't do everything. If you try to do everything, by definition, you're doing nothing. Um, and, we, and by the way, we don't have the dollars um, to, to do everything. So um, that, that was the plan, if you will, uh, back in the early part of the first quarter. Where we are today is um, uh, we have focused the dollars um, exclusively on the front door. So on the website and the app, and then um, we're obviously focused on COVID. Um, and we go through these periods where we have a lot of activity where we need to do things around COVID and then the team kind of pulses down. And um, so, you know, I'd say that uh, our, our priorities today are literally on, um, again, building the, the web, you know, building up a new website. Our, our web ecosystem is messy and it's, it's not only is the ecosystem messy, but just the experience on the sites are, are not very good. Regu and I talk about the site as our store. That's where people are looking to transact with us. And um, it, 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 we have none of the retail sensibility that you would look to from you know, a, a sophisticated retailer. Um, uh, and I know that's a taboo word in healthcare, but I gotta tell you, like, uh, the more that we use that word, uh, the more traction we're getting. Um, it's a place to transact. So um, we have a team of, of what we call a pod working on the site. We have a separate pod working on uh, our, our app. And then uh, we have an in-house, you can call it a pod, we have an in-house design group that does a lot of the heavy lifting on COVID. Okay, so let's talk about COVID. Just a reminder for folks, if you've got a question for Scott or Regu, throw it in the Q&A function. Um, that's what we're monitoring live to make sure that we can address the questions as they come in. Um, if you've got questions for other people in the, in the audience, certainly put it in the chat. But if you'd like uh, one of us that's here on the show, make sure that gets in the Q&A. And I don't think Chase can take a question out of chat and put it in Q&A. No, as, as I can't. They have technically to savvy <laughs> as you a, are. That's a Zoom restriction make for it something. Happen. I yep. suppose you could. Yeah. Anyway. So just encouraging people to put it there. Um, talk, can both of you talk a little bit about... Um, COVID. And I think the, the two ways I think about it, but you can come at it whichever way you want is, A, when this first hit, how, what, how did that impact what you were moving toward, particularly back in March and April? Um, but then also the vision that you have and the work that you've done, how has that enhanced your ability all along the way to deal with COVID and to support the community and patients? Um, with COVID-19? Uh, maybe I'll give my perspective there, Ragu. I'd actually be interested to hear you think about this. Um, so uh, I think like many of the folks on the call, when COVID hit, 
um, everything kind of went to the back burner. And, um, uh, and at the same time, um, we, it was an excellent opportunity for us to um, demonstrate how we can be more nimble and more innovative um, and better integrated with IT um, uh, in a more agile, more fluid way. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, very quickly we had to get um, not just a FAQ page up on our website, but we actually wanted to uh, dynamically populate uh, a series of pages about what was going on with COVID. Um, you know, our, our site traffic went up about 25% in the first couple of weeks. So we knew that people were coming. Um, and instead of using the classic, we'll create the content, we'll put a service ticket into IT, and someday an IT developer will get to uploading it into the CMS, uh, we actually put folks together in a virtual room and figured it out. And I would say we've now gotten down to, uh, we, we can now make changes within a matter of hours. Um, um, you know, we, gosh, there was, uh, there was an amazing moment where um, we had to get, uh, uh, we, we changed our, um, we changed our access policy. So uh, could people get into the building and, you know, into a clinic, into a hospital and what were the restrictions or the requirements? Uh, we, we made the changes that morning. And by the end of the day, that day, we had, um, uh, permanent signs up at uh, all 70 of our sites. Um, uh, and, you know, I think what's enabled that is we took a lot of the bureaucracy out of the way and uh, we've empowered people to do their jobs. And, um, and Regu and I, um, you know, every single day we are impressing all of our folks on the need to collaborate. And that there is no turf in this, and that if you uh, if you're not bought into the vision, um, this probably isn't the place for you to work. And I, we haven't had anybody resist that. Um, so though we've gotten smaller, and though we've been dealing with a pandemic, I think it's been an excellent opportunity for us to figure out on the fly how we're going to work better together. And I, I think we've been pretty successful. Ragu, what do you think? Yeah, now we get to hear from Ragu. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I agree with what Scott's saying. So. So from my perspective, uh, COVID manifested the no normal, right? As you have in your, in your show here. Um, uh, generally speaking, uh, three factors tend to kind of triangulate when an industry is in, is in transformation, right? Um, you have technical competency, you have cultural norms, and then your regulation. Uh, technical competency, as we've talked about, you know, as a healthcare delivery system, the competency of the generally delivering care, et cetera, uh, it's been pretty high in healthcare generally. What COVID essentially moved uh, significantly for uh, care receivers and care providers alike is a different way in which to interact and deliver care. All of a sudden, what previously were unacceptable norms or things that we would not actively consider or only idly, idly speculate became the norm. Uh, care and services that we would not have considered providing through virtual means are today more the norm and the expectation. Uh, so that change happened. Uh, regulation tends to always lag behind a little bit, it, and sure did in COVID, but no doubt, 
uh, one uh, one spur to this whole thing was the uh, regulatory authorities coming in and uh, bringing reimbursement parity and reducing some of the barriers around this. Uh, so those things have changed, and they have changed significantly over the past four months, so we're in an entirely new state. And to Scott's point, with where the pandemic was going and how we were tracking it and what we anticipated to be the surge, et cetera, there were a lot of things that a large health system like ours that's very community-focused had to accomplish, uh, drive-up clinics, uh, innovation in terms of our own testing kits, uh, working with the academic uh, side of the organization, working with IT, uh, working with consumer experience and go for et cetera, to say how do we present this uh, in a way that actually provides the community's needs in an engaging experiential way as fast as we can. The, um, the second big thing that COVID has done is before COVID, even within GoFert, many of the things that Scott and I started with, uh, we would have a we would have a sense that the time horizon to achieving market parity on some of these would be 20, 24 months. Well, we look up uh, towards the end of the big peak of COVID, so earlier this summer, and we are looking at 90 to some 120, 150 days. So the time horizon has shrunk significantly. Uh, and like Scott mentioned, the if I just look at technology, many of the programs that were planned to go in over the next two years are already in live, being used. So we have accelerated the use of technology, accelerated the institutionalizing of new digitized processes, uh, securing data in different ways uh, about our consumers. All that is kind of accelerated. Yeah, if I, if I, if I, I, could, just, Scott. Uh, if I could just, you know, kind of add to that a little bit. Um, uh, the, for lack of a better term, the revolution that has gone on in our um, legacy IT organization over the last six months has been stunning to watch. Um, you know, so of course we had to scale up, um, you know, we had to scale up uh, virtual care, which, you know, they did an amazing job in and of itself. But um, my gosh, the, the infrastructure changes that, you know, as Ragu pointed out, had year and a half, two year timelines on it that went down from, you know, years to months to literally days were just incredible to watch. So like we, we had a six month plan to migrate the health system onto Office 365. And I think the whole thing was done in like less than 90 days. Um, believe it or not, we were still using a lot of VPN uh, access. We were requiring VPN access at, at the early days. And I, within like a week, I think our VPN access went up like by a factor of 10. Like our ability to scale that went up by a factor of 10. Um, so, you know, I, this has, I think, in many good ways forced us to think differently about uh, how we get work done, how we can scale quickly, and, and that maybe we don't need to be as, um, I don't want to say reckless, but we don't need to be as gentle with change as maybe we had been in the past. Yeah, and you guys both talk about this and we've heard others talk about, you know, COVID-19 is a forcing function for some of this stuff. You know, it's it's a horrible thing. Nobody wants this, um, but a silver lining for institutions like like yours is it is it has forced things to happen that should have been happening to a greater degree much faster. Um, Ragu, you brought up virtual care. I would love to ask both of you about virtual care. Um, because you've you've been in the mix, you've you've 
you've accelerated like some others we've heard. Um, you know, now we're starting to see, you know, we saw like ridiculous, you know, even a competitor here in town who I won't name was in the paper from going from zero to 70,000 in like a month, right? Um, which I, I always say like, I don't know which is more shocking. The fact that it's at 70,000 now or that it was <laughs> at zero in February. Um, but most of them are like that. Oh, we had 20 a week and now we're up to whatever. Uh, but we're starting to see it come back down as we reopen and folks are able to come back in. Um, and we're starting to hear like, okay, well, this is going to come back down and we'll go back to where it was. Uh, we all think it's going to be here. Um, I think I want to put this to you guys. I think there's an underestimation of the Pandora's box we've opened with consumers here because we have now given them a taste of this um, because they had to use it. We know it's always been a struggle for providers too. Uh, but once you use it, why would you ever want to go back if, unless you had to, unless it required a physical presence, um, which most encounters with clinicians don't. Um, a lot can be handled through, um, you know, in-home or retail settings for labs and things like that. Um, and I think I worry about systems going, okay, well, we can, we can, we'll do the best that we can with it, but we're going to go back and most of our physicians, we're going to prioritize on-site rather than virtual. And I, th and I worry that we're going to underestimate folks going, uh, no. No, like I want this everywhere. I mean, where are you guys at with where this can go? Um, regulatory reimbursement also challenges moving forward. Um, but what's your vision for where this could be or should be? Uh, I'm looking at a quote on my desk from our CEO that um, says, we are not resuming normal. Um, we're actually going the other way. So uh, we are going to try to migrate as much of our um, as much of our business to virtual as we possibly can um, for for two reasons one is the reason you just described um, you know it's what consumers have now gotten a taste of it and um, by the way if we can tie other services into it um, I think we could make it even more convenient um, the other is uh, running clinics costs us a lot of money. I, I mean, there's just a huge carrying cost on it. Um, you know, uh, the bricks and mortar is just, it, it's expensive to run. It's expensive to maintain. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the secret that no one's talking about right now is, or it's, it, it's not getting the, the coverage that I think it deserves is, most of the health systems in this country are in real financial trouble. Um, you know, between the cost trend and the reimbursement trend. Um, so by the way, our costs go up at about 5% a year. I think like most health systems, our reimbursements go up somewhere between one and a half to 2% a year. So we're spending three to four X of what we're getting paid. Um, that, that's not sustainable. And, you know, the other bit that's going on is, um, yes, you know, I think our volumes are coming back to a level that is kind of proximal to where we were pre-COVID. Um, but, um, 
we're not back to normal. And um, every percentage point that we're below uh, the pre-COVID level is worth tens of millions of dollars. So uh, we fundamentally have to look at our cost structure in a different way than we have in the past. And going virtual is a big part of that. So there's a consumer part of it and there's a business part of it. And we fundamentally believe it's, it's integral to our future. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'd like to add a, a little nuance to that. Um, so every, everything that, that he just talked about, what Scott and I then sit and think about from a gopher perspective and, um, and bring it back to the organization is around um, virtual care in this world at this point uh, is not about continuing uh, the services and conversations that we used to have in an in-person in setting, just using a new electronic medium. We really need to reimagine care for virtual care to really be, uh, to really harness the value of what that kind of interaction brings and to make it profitable. So that's one of the things we are working on. Scott alluded to vertically integrated services. That's a start, but we're working with our clinician groups to really rethink this. That's great. All right, so I wanna to get to some questions. We've got a couple of questions here. Um, both of them kind of go back to your original vision. Um, so the first one is, and I know this came up uh, at the retreat too, Scott. Um, what are the what are your concerns, or what were the concerns about the risks associated with the on-demand service you've set up for service lines, where they can go and basically create their own collateral? You don't you're not in the middle of that. Um, are there concerns about having clinical staff write their own copy, um, you know, consistency, uh, approvals, all of those kind of things. Maybe talk to your perspective on how you're managing to that and to what degree you're worried about that. Uh, so, of course, we, we worried about, uh, we worried a little bit about um, fully seeding control of it. Um, and so, We've done a couple of things, but I, I should, before I get into that, I should say um, having marketing people uh, in the middle of that was hugely expensive. We had 22 FTEs, 22 FTEs that were in the middle of that, uh, that were essentially brokering a process before. Um, so, um, you know, I think there are questions along sort of three dimensions. Uh, one is, um, uh, you know, sort of market, you know, related to the marketing and like how well does the copy align to the brand and how are, how do we make sure that they're not violating brand standards and that things are written in a, in a, in a consumer friendly way. So a uh, couple of things to that point, the system is configured such that they can't change the templates. So I actually, I don't worry about, I don't worry about um, them violating brand standards. Um, and as new users on the system, they actually have to go through a short tutorial to get educated on the brand, on our brand standards. Um, but they, they can't change. These aren't like templates that you can download. You have to make all your edits in the system. So that's sort of the first thing. The second thing is, um, you know, as part of their training, they have to show us that they know how to use it and they actually have to go through an approval um, for a while 
for a number of months, their pieces have to go through an approval process. So they create something, it bounces to, uh, it bounces either to one of our folks or uh, to our, our partner, um, uh, they're called SmartWorks, uh, and one of their people will look at it to make sure that it's written in a consumer-friendly way. Um, and then it's released. Once they've proven to us that you know, they can do this decently, we, we take some of the, the shackles off. So that's sort of issue one. Issue two is um, you know, related to compliance and regulatory. And all we've done is we've just shifted the responsibility back to the service lines to say like, you need to go talk to our legal folks to make sure that what you're publishing is, um, is compliant. Like you don't need a marketing person to do that. Um, so we've just taken a body out of the middle of that and, and the onus remains on them. It, it's always remained on them. The third component to this is, well, who's paying for it? And I, I think I mentioned this back in February. Um, you know, in the past, in years past, um, marketing just had sort of a, a massive bucket of, I wouldn't call it massive, but it had a bucket of money and the service lines could come back to us at any point and ask for something and it would be up to marketing to figure out how to pay for it. And what we've done is we've shifted the burden back to the service line. So we've said, that open bar no longer exists. And if you want to produce something, like you got to put your own GL code into the system and uh, you know, you're know you gonna have to pay for it out of your own budget. Um, and of course, part of the intent of that was to force the question, do you really need this? What happens if right. you don't need this? And you know, I would say for the most part, it's having the intended effects. We're actually, pr we're printing less, we're producing less. Of course, we have some people who are unhappy with it, but um, it, it, it's doing exactly what we intended, which is to force the question, do you really need this? And if it's really important, then you'll figure out a way to pay for it, but you're not gonna tap Rego and Scott's budget for free anymore so that we can focus our dollars on the things that really are important to the health system. Yeah, I, I'm just gonna add one more thing to that, Scott, from what you said back in, in February that I thought was really powerful and a, and a mind shift for folks. Um, you know, all of that said, you are stepping out of the process to a degree and giving up some control um, and you're doing it in a great way and you're managing it the best you can. But those are the kind of decisions you have to make if you're going to focus on the things that matter. And in the end, it comes down to what is really going to matter to your business. Is it 20 people managing collateral with whatever size bucket of money to make sure that there's consistency versus a powerful, different, compelling front door. We are not companies or systems are not big enough to be able to do all of that to the degree that they should. So if you're serious about what you're trying to do, you have to be okay with, hey, prioritization means prioritization. And I think when you said that back then, it was it was really important for people to hear like, yeah, we, we're giving up a little bit here. We're not just, it's not willy nilly. It's not the wild west as you just described, but we can't do what we were doing before if we're serious about these priorities. Like we have, yeah. to, we have yeah. to do that. Yeah, totally. If I could say a little bit more to that, you know, the, the, as Regu and I thought about this really early on, you know, we of course had to think about like, where, where are we going to have the most impact? And I think that word is important. Where we can have the most impact on the consumer and therefore the health system. And I, we don't think the win is in control. Like his job, my job are not brand cops. It's just not I, like, I, I don't, 
I, I like I fail to see how me having a police force of 22 people that are you know policing the word choices on a piece of collateral I, I, I fail to see how that is going to materially advance um, what we need to do so you're right I I had to say to our CEO I'm ceding control I'm giving it up it's up to those people and we'll train them and we'll empower them. So I'm not saying you're on your own, right? but um, yeah, you, you're going to have to, you're going to, if it's really important, you're going to have to do some of this. And by the way, we're getting ready to give some of the control of our social channels back to the service. So I, I, you know, social is important and um, but you know, we can set guidelines and we can train people, but you know, do I really have to pay for a gazillion people to create scads of content? I, I don't think so. We've got some awesome people who do social media for us. They're, they're super talented. Um, I'd like them to focus on strategically, what should we be doing with social? But is it really important for them to manage every single post? Of course it's not. Right. We, we, we gotta focus where we can get the most mileage. Right. Uh, there's a number of questions here related to kind of your approach to building this out. So I'm gonna kind of combine them and roll them all up into one, and, and you guys can decide how far you want to go with it. But can you can you both speak to the balance in building out your vision between, um, you know, basically off the shelf solutions from vendors versus what you're building you know, this may be customized from vendors to what you're building proprietarily by yourself. Um, you know, you share whatever you want to with that, but uh, it's always a question about, is this, is this something we can do by turning to outside partners hundred um, percent? Do we need them to some degree, or is this something if we're doing right, we really have to do most of it ourselves. Can you both speak to kind of how you're approaching that balance? Raghu, why don't you dive into that one? Okay. Um, you know, part of being a digital company uh, entails rethinking uh, a lot of these foundational things. Uh, I talked about reimagining virtual care. It's the same in various functions. Uh, one core aspect of being digital is the ability to acquire flexible talent models. Um, and developing a uh, ecosystem of business partners who bring specific specialized deep expertise to the table beyond anything that we may be able to uh, initiate and nurture and create and mature in our own organization is critical for success. Um, and if we, if we just think about, we're talking about current, immediate current state here today, but if we think about the very near future as consumer trends increase in healthcare, the expectation clearly is going to be for a personalized adaptive experience among consumers. Uh, doing that requires bringing these specific talents there. Now, there is a, uh, there is a good inflection point where uh, as a healthcare system, there are certain key things that we would uh, hold closer to us uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, uh, that is one mechanism in which to ensure that the experience that is being engineered among our different consumer segments uh, is the appropriate manifestation of our brand ethos that, uh, that we're creating, right, with ML Fairview. That's something that we're going to guard in-house. 
the second thing around this is the architecture that helps uh, connect all these different points of engagement, make it seamless between analog, digital, et cetera. That architecture is going to be part of our core competency. It's probably going to be a differentiating uh, asset for us as an organization, and so we're going to keep that in-house as well. Uh, but to uh, you can do that safely while bringing in specialized expertise to address niche things that you can then construct together. Yeah, I'll, we're uh, Rego and I are so uh, tightly aligned on this that I don't have a ton to add. Uh, <laughs> other than to um, other than to say, um, we're not a software development shop. Um, it's just not a core competency for our company. Um, so uh, we are, you know, I would say um, for much of the capability that is what we call cost of entry, um, you know, we're buying that. Um, for things that we, for services that we think are gonna be truly differentiating, um, and I'll, I'll give an example in a minute. Um, but for services that we think are truly differentiating, you know, we may partner with somebody to, to custom build that. Um, you know, so the example that Regu and I use a lot is like um, uh, open scheduling or on-demand scheduling. Like, are we going to win because our on-demand scheduling, you know, interface is better than the guy down the street? No. Um, you know, so is it really critical for us to custom build that piece of software? It, it's not. Um, so we'll, we'll, we're going to buy that from somebody. But, um, uh, it, it, you know, there may be things that, you know, are, are going to be important for us to custom develop. Um, the other thing that Regu said is really important is it, it's, it's super important for us that, um, and I'm going to get into the nitty gritty of Agile a little bit here. It's really important for us that the product owner works for us. So, um, and that the architects work for us. Um, so that we are the holders of the vision and we are the holders of the product, but that we work with partners who have, uh, I'll use his words, fluid staffing models and can bring different sets of capabilities to the table uh, to help us you know, imagine and build and deliver new products, new experiences. And, and that's what we've built. Great. Okay. So the questions keep coming in. Shocking. I knew this would happen because I knew what you guys were up to. And I knew as soon as we had you on to share it, it would spur like it did back in February, lots of questions and conversations. So um, we're going to wrap though, because we're, we're near the end of the show. We're at the end of the show. And so what I will say to folks who joined, who didn't get their questions answered, um, we'll pass them on to Scott and Reku. Um, and if they can, they'll try to get back to you or we'll, we can facilitate that. We also may have you guys back uh, because I, I really honestly believe this is just my POV. What you guys are doing is unique. Uh, it's not just the vision, it's the partnership. Ragu sitting in here. This is the first time we've had an IT folk with us on a show like this, uh, which speaks to that. Uh, and so, you know, who, you know, we don't want to bother you guys too much. We know you're a little busy. But at some point down the road, we'll have you back um, so we can dig deeper. Uh, we can answer more questions. Uh, but so appreciate you both joining us today for this. Oh, thanks for having us. And, and Chris, if I could just make one more point to your point about um, uh, not having an IT person on here before. Uh, Regu runs the studio. He, he, we call him our head gopher. Um, <laughs> and uh, the reason we did that was not only because he's awesome, 
Um, but we wanted to send a very clear signal to the system that um, this isn't just a rebadge of marketing. This is something totally different. Um, so Regu runs the show day to day. Um, All right. So now, now you're going to have to, you know, I'm from this area. I understand Gopher. I understand the double meaning of the acronym, but you're going to have to explain the acronym and the connection to the University of Minnesota because there are people, Chase, I'm going to point at you. I know you asked it. What do they mean by <laughs> Gopher? So tell us what the acronym stands for and then explain to folks to tie into. All right. Well, it, it started in a funny place. Um, as Regu and I put this together, we were like, well, you know, a gopher is obviously somebody who, you know, goes and does things in service with somebody else. Um, and uh, and it, it's also the mascot for the University of Minnesota. But, you know, it seems like all the startups are taking the vowels out of their names. So let's just do the same. Literally started. Um, and then, you know, very quickly, we get, as we got into it, it turns out that um, one of the first internet protocols before yeah. HTML was gopher. Uh, That's right. University of Minnesota in 1979. So it uh, doubles as an homage to the early digital thinking that came out of the U. So triple meaning, maybe yeah. quadruple, <laughs> and not an acronym whatsoever. An acronym. No. Okay. Perfect. Well, Regu, too, I want to thank you personally. Thanks again, both you guys, for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you. If there's anything you want us to cover, put it in the chat function now. Uh, email us at nonormal at thinkrevivehealth.com. Uh, if you want us to have Scott and Ragu back, let us know. But I think that's a default. We would try to have them back uh, if, they will, if they will join us again. Chase, thank you, sir, again. Absolutely. Glad to, glad to be here. Remember to visit thinkrevivehealth.com slash COVID-19 by the end of the day for a recording of today's episode. Subscribe on iTunes. And next week, we're going to be talking about uh, Rogue Doctors. Um, of which there are unfortunately many out there talking about all kinds of fun things related to COVID-19 and how health systems um, have to manage through that. So until then, good luck everybody out there in the no normal.